Good morning, everyone. Can everyone please be seated for the reading of God's word? You don't have to go up. We're going to the back. Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. You have covered the heavens with your majesty. From the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have established a stronghold on account of your adversaries in order to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I observed your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what is a human being that you remember him, a son of man that you look after him? You made him less than God and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands and put everything under his feet, all the sheep and oxen, as well as the animals in the wild, the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea that pass through the currents of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is David Gladney. I come from Exodus Church in Belmont, North Carolina, uh, and it's really good to be here with you this morning. Uh, I'm actually, I was actually here over the summer with the team from Exodus to participate in your VBS, and it's good to see familiar faces, and it was an honor to serve with you and your church this summer, and it's, it's again, I'm really glad to be here. I'm glad to help out uh, Pastor Will, and so he can get a little rest from his, from his traveling. Um, So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Psalm chapter 8. Psalm 8 is where we're going to be today. So I grew up in a town called Madison in the state of Mississippi. Mississippi is a state that is west from here. It's a little state. Most of you may not, may not have been there before. But there, I grew up with my parents and two older sisters. And my family, we were always in church. We were there Sunday mornings, Sunday nights. Wednesday nights, if the church was open for a time to be there to gather, we were probably there. So my parents, from an early age, they shared the gospel with me. From the time I was born, they were taking us to church, they were teaching us about Jesus, teaching us what it meant to live for Him. But it wasn't until I was 14 at a summer camp where the Lord showed me and needed, that I needed Him and that I needed a Savior. So I got saved at the age of 14, going into my ninth grade year. So I started to get discipled from church, from my parents, and then I went to college, not really knowing what I wanted to do when I got older. You know, when we're young, we all think we want to be a doctor or a neurosurgeon or fly a rocket one day. I had no idea what I wanted to do, so I went to college to be an accountant. And that didn't work out very well because I didn't know anything past what a debit and a credit was. And so... After, after a little while in college, I realized accounting wasn't for me. But in that time, God started stirring in my heart and started revealing to me that he wanted me to, be, he wanted me to work in vocational ministry. He wanted me to work in the church. Now, I didn't know what that meant, but I knew I needed to stop doing accounting. And so I started finding other degrees and ended up studying psychology. Now, I didn't know what I wanted to do with that degree, but I knew that one day I would have to go get my master's. So I got called to vocation ministry, and then I ended up going to seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina, where I finished and got my MDiv, and I met my wife there. So while I was in college, God called me to the ministry. I started 
finding different ways to start serving the Lord. So I served the Lord in uh, my local Baptist ministry there at uh, my university. I served in the church and the kids ministry. And then I started doing mission trips all over the world. I was blessed to go to trips in uh, Colombia, South America, Brazil. I was able to go to Spain one summer. I was able to go to China over Christmas one year. And one summer during college, I was able to go to Japan. I spent 12 weeks there for summer missions. Japan was a really, really sweet country. I didn't know anything about Japan, Japanese culture. But once I got there, I I soon realized that it's just a really sweet culture and a culture of um, humble people who who were very hospitable to, to us when we were there. But I also learned that the Japanese people are one of the most unreached people groups in the world. So less than 0.01% of people in the country of Japan know and love Jesus. That is a very small amount of people. In Japan, there are two main religions. One you've probably heard of is Buddhism. One that's less known is called Shintoism. And so one of our first week there, we went to a festival at a Shinto shrine. Now think about this festival, kind of like the farmer's market in downtown Greenville. Anybody ever been there and you've seen all the tents? On the side, you can buy things, some things you don't need, some things you could use and and need. But this is what this festival was like at this Shinto shrine. We get in there, the shrine is really big. It it kind of feels like a park. And there are tents everywhere, vendors everywhere. So we start making our way through the people, through the back of the shrine, just observing. Because none of us really knew what a Shinto shrine looked like and what it was for. But we started making our way to the back. And we start seeing a group of people crowded around uh, this rocky area. There's a fence, and they're all looking into this area with rocks, and then a big rock sitting in the middle with a building in the back. I'm like, what are they doing? They're just standing there. Some are bowing, and we find out they're praying. And then we see them. We see some people throwing coins at this rock, at the rocks. And we ask the missionaries, why are they throwing coins? Well, he said, well, Bill's paper doesn't wake up their gods. Because coins, when you throw a coin, it's going to make more noise than a paper bill. So they would throw a coin so it would make noise so their God would wake up so they can pray to the God, little g-God. And so they would begin praying after they threw this coin, and they would begin their prayer by saying their name and then their address because they didn't want their blessing to go to the wrong person. And so if, if this was me, I would say my name is David Gladney, and I live at 110 Orchard Street because I wanted the blessing to come to me. I didn't want it to go to another David Gladney in the world. And as we're observing this, we're observing these, these people, these men and women and children, praying to a God that will never know them, will never hear them. And we are struck with so much sadness as we're observing this. They're, they're giving their money to a rock, but not just their money, their hope. They're putting their hope in something that will never hear them, that will never know them, and that will certainly never love them. Today we're going to read a psalm of David that reminds us that our God is not like their God. Their God doesn't hear them. Our God does hear us. Our God doesn't have to be reminded of who we are. He doesn't have to be reminded of where we live. He knows how many hairs are on your head because he loves us. And today we're going to talk about how our God is a great God who cares for us and that he honors us. And so that's going to be my main idea today is that we're going to worship our Lord who cares for and honors his people. 
So if you would, hopefully you're at Psalm 8 at this point, and this psalm is going to look back at God's original creation and look forward to the new creation. So let's read Psalm 8. Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. You have covered the heavens with your majesty. From the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have established a stronghold on account of your adversaries in order to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what is a human being that you remember him? A son of man that you look after him. You made him a little less than God and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all the sheep and oxen, as well as the animals in the wild. The birds of the sky and the fish of the sea, they pass through the currents of the sea. Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. Let's pray. God, I, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this morning that we can gather and we can sing and worship your name. We can uh, quote scripture and read scripture together, Lord. And uh, thank you for this morning that we can gather here. Thank you, Lord, that you know us, you care for us, you know our name, you know our hurts, you know our scars, you know our victories, God. You know us. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. And thank you most of all for Jesus who came to live, die, and come again. So, Lord, we, we praise you and we, we honor you and I praise in your name, Jesus. Amen. So, again, our main idea this morning is worship our Lord who cares for and honors his people. And from this, this main idea, we're going to have three points. The first of these points is worship our Lord. We're going to look in Psalm 8 to see how God's name is a glorious name and how he is to be glorified and how his name is glorified throughout the entire earth. The second point is going to be our Lord cares for us. The Lord cares for his people. We're going to look at how a glorious God, magnificent God, cares for us, cares for man, cares for women and children. We're going to look at how God cares for us. And finally, we're going to see how the Lord honors his people. So not only does this magnificent God care for us, he also honors us. And so that's where we're going to begin with my first point is worship our Lord. So verse 1 says, Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. You have covered the heavens with your majesty. So David begins this song with worshiping the Lord. He says, Lord, our Lord. And at first glance, you might say, why is David repeating himself? He says, Lord, twice. But Lord, the David here is using two different names for Lord. So the first name we see David use is in all caps. It's all caps, Lord, is Yahweh. This is God's covenantal name. This is the name that God gave to the Hebrews in the book of Exodus. This name is used over 7,000 times in scripture. And this name gives the idea that God is and will continue to be. That God is active and he is present in his children's lives. And that his presence and promises will never cease. So he's present and active and his promises will never cease. So that is what Lord, that is what Yahweh is telling us. That he will always be. And now the second name we see, Lord, is not all capitalized. But the name we see there is Adonai. Adonai. This word emphasizes the sovereignty of God. This is a word that means master. Adonai conveys that God is Lord and master over everything, 
over everything, including our lives and including all the earth, and that God has all authority and all power throughout the earth. He has over power, authority and power over our lives, your children's life, your church's lives. God has all authority and power. And this echoes what Jesus says in Matthew 28. Before he gives the great commission, he says this, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to him. Jesus has all authority. He has all authority, he says in Matthew 28. And this is why we can say Jesus is Lord, because he is God and he deserves our worship. And we, like David in Psalm 8, should worship our Lord, because our Lord is magnificent and he deserves our praise. So David begins this song by acknowledging God's glory and his, his covenantal name by looking at his, and looking at his lordship. So David acknowledges that God is, God's name is majestic and it covers the earth. And not every person is going to believe that. Not every person acknowledges God's name. Like, the, like today, when the Bible is written, people were worshiping false gods false religions. But the truth is, every other name other than God is a false god. And only our God's name fills the earth. No other God can do that. Only God's name fills the earth. That's to say there is no other God. There's only our God. His name is great, and his name permeates throughout the earth. David says, you have set your glory above the heavens. David is reflecting on God's greatness, his majesty. He's taking in the majesty of God in his earth. This reminds me of Psalm 19. It says, David says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. When he writes that, and when he's writing Psalm 8, I imagine David, when he's a shepherd, and he's out in the field tending to his flock all day, and then he's, he's that night, the sheep are resting, resting, and he's just staring up at the sky, and he's seeing something magnificent. And he's like, I got to write this down. I got to write down that God is amazing. He's awesome, which we sang about us a minute ago, and that his glory permeates the earth. Whatever David is seeing in this psalm is invoking worship, is invoking a response of worship. Maybe, maybe you've had a similar moment where you're walking uh, in the woods or you're walking down the street, and you can see stars, or you're walking on the beach, you can see the ocean and the sunset, and that provokes you to worship. One of, one of the mission trips I took was in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, and we went to the beach one day, and the beach was, uh, the sand was nice and flowery kind of sand. The water was fairly clear, not a ton of seaweed, and the beaches, it was a beautiful, beautiful day, but the beaches were crowded with people. It was crazy. People all, all over the place trying to sell you things. There are people playing soccer, people playing volleyball. There are people playing soccer volleyball, where you play volleyball with a soccer ball. It was everything you can think of was going on at this beach. But as the sun started to come down, people started to get a little more calm. We started gathering on these rocks, and we started looking toward the horizon. We're looking and waiting on this sun to set over the horizon. And it, the sight you can see, we're, we're looking into the horizon, we're seeing colors of yellow, orange, and purple, and blue, all combined as one, as God's sun, the S-U-N, is coming down on the horizon. And once the sun finally sets, we're all standing on this rock, the beach is silent, we're all looking out. The sun sets, and everyone on that beach starts to cheer and clap 
and hoop and holler. We're all cheering on the glory of God. Some knowing and some unknowing are worshiping God. Because they're not, we weren't there worshiping a son, the S-U-N. We were there looking at God and taking in his glory and worshiping his glory. God's greatness is displayed in his creation. And are, are we in all of his creation? When we see his creation, do we stop and say, man, my God is an awesome God. He's an awesome God. And he loves me. And we're going to get to that in a second. Do we stop and worship God for the magnitude of his glory displayed in all of creation? We can see his glory in creation from not just a sunset, but in children and us. All things he created. If you go to the mountains this winter and you're on the lake and it's cool and you're, and you're, on, and you're just out there fishing, maybe that's where you see the glory of God and, you're, and you take that in and worship him. Don't miss God's glory when you're out in his world. God's creation is also displayed in, in smaller things like the way God dismisses his enemies. Let's look at verse 2. From the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have established a stronghold on account of your adversaries in order to silence the enemy and the avenger. What, what this simply means is God is able to use weak and dependent babies to silence the wicked. And Jesus actually uses this verse in Matthew 21. This is when Jesus is uh, cleansing the temple. Jesus is claiming to be the, the majestic God that we are reading about. He's, he's claiming to be the, the majestic God that dependent babies give witness to. That he is the God of Psalm 8. And we often call this a Messiah song, Messiah psalm, because it is looking to and pointing to Jesus Christ. As we talked about, we can see Jesus throughout the Scripture. Jesus isn't only in the New Testament. We can look back into the Old Testament. And we can see the redemption story throughout Scripture. God's name is majestic, and His glory fills and permeates throughout the earth, and infants will be witness to that truth. So David begins this song by declaring God's name is great, in that His glory fills the earth. He then, he then transitions to looking at God to looking at Himself. He transitions from looking at God to looking at mankind. So that leads us to our second point, that our Lord cares for his people. Let's read verses 3 and 4. When I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what is a human being that you remember him and a son of man that you look after him? In verse 3, David is looking at this God that he is worshiping. He's seeing his creation, saying, God, you're glorious, you're majestic, you're magnificent. He's thinking, why do you care about me? Why do you remember me? Why are you mindful of me? David is looking up at God and his glory and feeling so insignificant to the greatness of God. Humans, we're small, we're dust, our life is just a vapor. We're here just for a moment. The Hebrew word for human being highlights the frailty of our existence. Even the term son of man sees us as insignificant. Do we feel like David when we're, we're, we see a picture of the Grand Canyon? Like, wow, I feel real insignificant right now. I can't do that. I can't create something that amazing. Maybe you, you, you go on vacation 
uh, to the beach or to the mountains, you're like, man, this is amazing. I'm, I feel real insignificant. At summer camp this summer, I was able to go with our youth to a camp called Camp Awanta. It's actually here, near here. And one of the activities they give you to do is at night, you can take this Hummer ride that you may or may not make it to the top because it feels real sketchy when you're on your way up. But it, you get up there, and we get to the top of this mountain, and the, the group of adults I was with, we got off this Hummer, and we just see all the stars in the sky. And we're, we, take all, we take out our apps, and we're like, ooh, what star is that? What planet is that? We're a bunch of nerds doing this. And it just, it hit me as I was studying for this, that, man, I am so insignificant. God, your glory is magnificent. Why do you care for me? God, you are, you are amazing. But you care for me. The God who created the mountains, the sea, the Grand Canyon, he created you. He created you. Not only does he know you, he, and he cares for you. Out of sight, out of mind doesn't exist for God. We don't, he doesn't have to be reminded with a coin to wake up to know who you are and to be reminded of where you live. He knows you. He will not forget you. He knows who you are. He knows and cares for his children. But we should be shocked by this. We should be shocked that a God that is magnificent and that glory fills the earth cares for us because we rebelled against him. We sinned against him, but he loves us enough that he would provide a way of salvation for us. And that's good news, that our God loves us to know us and to save us, that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us and to raise three days later so we can be with him for eternity. And that's real good news. And God knows everything you came in here with. Not only does he save you, he knows you, he knows your cares. You might have come in here with all kinds of scars and all kinds of struggles and troubles, but he knows. Give those to him. He knows you. He's not distant from those who are struggling uh, with, with marital problems, financial problems with your kids. He knows. He knows, and he wants you to come to him. And he cares for you, and he sustains you. That is who our God is. He's not a forgetful God. He is a God who knows us. Those who are battling sickness, he cares, he knows, and he loves. He's aware not, and cares and loves you. Matthew says, a sparrow won't fall without the Father knowing. You are, you are worth more than a bird. So much more than a bird that God is mindful and cares for us. But he also honors us. And that's going to lead us to our third point in looking at verses 5 through 8, that our Lord honors his people. Verses 5 through 8 say this, You made him a little less than God and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him Lord over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all the sheep and oxen, as well as animals in the wild, birds of the sky and fish of the sea, passing through the currents of the sea. Church, we're no accident. Mankind is not an afterthought of God. We are actually seen in Genesis 1 being created in his image. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Not only are we created by God, we're created in his image. What that means is that we resemble God 
We are made to resemble God and display who he is. And as image bearers, we possess intelligence, we possess emotion, we each have value, we each have dignity. But there is some bad news. The bad news is that the image of God was broken. It was defaced. It was fallen. Adam and Eve willingly disobeyed God. And because of sin, we willingly disobeyed God. And because of sin, we were no longer, we were no longer holy. We didn't lose our intelligence. We didn't lose our emotion. But the thing Adam and Eve lost and that we lost is being an image bearer, is the, of being an image bearer, is holiness. We lost holiness. And since Adam and Eve, every man and every woman has willingly disobeyed God and sinned against him, the image is broken. But David says that God has made man a little less than God. What this means is we're, we're not quite, we're not God. None of us are God. But we are described less than God, but we're not described less than animals. We're not described less than animals. One creator said, commentator said this, human beings are creatures distinct from the creator, yet also distinct from the rest of creation. So we're made a little less than God, but, we're ruler, but you made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all the sheep and the oxen, as well as the animals in the sky and the birds, the animals in the wild and the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea. We are made less than God, but we're made higher than the animals. We are, David says man is crowned with glory and honor, and we are honored and glorified by God to be like God. Human beings being honored by God is the sign of favor from God, and we must worship God and honor others. Jesus said the two greatest commandments are to love God and love others. We can't just love God and then not love others. We must love God, love God and love others. In verse 6, David says that God has put all things that he's created under his feet. Now, this is symbolic language in the ancient world. If you think uh, under his feet, if the two warriors were going to battle and one of them won, they might, he might, the one who won might put his foot on top of the one who lost. This is a symbolic to show who was in control and who was in, not in control. A king would stand over his enemy. And what David is showing here is that Animals, fish, and birds are set under the foot of mankind. The earth is subjected to human authority by God. God gives the authority. But at this present time, the day we live in today, we do not see this dominion of man. Not everything is under the dominion of man. We're not living in a Psalm 8 world. We're living in a Genesis 3 world. We're living in a world that has fallen and is stained by sin, and this should not be. But there will be a day there will be a day that sin is defeated. It was defeated on the cross and that Jesus will come back one day. Hebrews 2, the author says, he quotes Psalm 8 and he speaks of the exaltation of Jesus. We see Jesus who came to us for a time was made a little lower than angels and is crowned with glory and honor. Jesus defeated the greatest enemy of all, which is death. And one day he will come back and redeem us. The author of Hebrews suggests with Psalm 2 in mind that all things have indeed been placed under the feet of Jesus and all things are subjected to Jesus. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God, this, the, the world stained with sin, the world became chaotic. God's creation is groaning. God's image is broken. We're all sinful and broken individuals. 
living chaotic, chaotic lives in need of a Savior. But God, in his love, sent Jesus, who lived perfectly. Jesus, who wore a crown of thorns, will one day wear a crown of glory, Hebrews says. And in salvation, the image of God is restored. And what my sin broke, Jesus restored. And God is going to restore us and is restoring us in his image by conforming us to look like Jesus. So the now what? Now what question? What are we to do? Let's read verse 9. Lord, our Lord, how magnificent, magnificent is your name throughout the earth. David ends this psalm by the way he began it. We see the praise of God's name and the acknowledgement of his reign. And my question for us today, looking through Psalm 8, seeing that God is glorious, we're going to ask the question that David asked. Are you shocked by God's care for you? And when, you, when David was shocked he's, that God remembers who he is, when you see God in his name, in his glory, are you shocked that he cares for you? And do you rest in his care for you? Do you rest that he loves you? David is in utter shock, but he's also, he's humble that a God who is magnificent will love him. We don't, have to, we don't worship a Lord who has to be woken up. We worship a Lord who lives and is reigning. We worship a God that not only knows our name and address, he knows our cares and our hurts, our wounds and our scars, our triumphs and our victories. He knows it all. Psalm 139 says this, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. The thoughts, God's thoughts of you are more than the grains of sand on, in the world. So we, if you go to the beach and you put your hand in the sand, just think how much little grains of sand you have in your hand. Think about all the sand in the world, that God's thoughts of you are more than that. We have a God who cares for us. So those who feel that God is far from you, God cares for you. The Bible says that God is faithful when we're not. God is always faithful. Whatever you came in here, whatever scars, whatever, whoever is struggling today, remember that God cares for you and that we should worship him. We should worship him even in our heart, in our, in our hard times. So many times we're tempted to worship things that don't love us, that don't care for us, and certainly aren't mindful of us. We worship people on the internet so we, because we want to become like them rather than worshiping the God who we're supposed to become like. We worship our job because we, maybe we value money or we value status instead of being in the position that God puts us in as his child, as his, one of his children who he cares for and he loves us. Like the people in the shrine, we throw coins to things. We throw money to things. We throw our hope to things that don't know us, that don't care for us, and will certainly never honor us. We worship our own image rather, rather than worshiping the God who made us in his image. And we must repent and ask God to forgive us. And, and then we should worship him. Maybe you're in here and, you're, and you don't know Jesus. You're like, I don't know who this guy is. I don't, certainly don't love him. And you, you're out there seeking things and people or, or a status that don't care for you. And they, they, they won't hear you. And it will only lead to more hurt and more destruction following God, you're, you're, you're following a God over all creation who loves you and cares for you, will always be faithful. And the good news is we'll spend eternity with him, worshiping Jesus forever. 
So church, God loves you. He cares for you. And as you go today and you go this week, remember God's care for you. Let's pray. God, I I thank you for this day. I thank you for this morning and this time to come and, and share your word, God. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we can know you, that we can know your, your, your son Jesus and that, Lord, you care for us. You love us. We rebelled against you, but God, you loved us so much that you sent your son Jesus to die for us and give us eternal life. And I pray this in his name. Amen.